Welcome. My name is Michael. I uh, serve as one of the pastors here at Genesis. And uh, as I just mentioned, uh, we are in our summer series. This is week number two of a series that we have just called Paradox, a, a journey through the psalm. And we just decided to call this series Paradox because uh, as we walk through nine more psalms, one of the things that you're going to see again and again and again is that man is a paradox, but God is not. Uh, and I defined this last week for us, but a paradox is a person or a thing exhibiting apparently contradictory characteristics. Uh, a person or a thing that is exemplifying or exhibiting apparently contradictory char- characteristics. You know, as we go through the Psalms, uh, you're going to see that uh, the many people who wrote the Psalms, and the Psalms are songs or prayers or confessions, um, they're all over the place, but God is not. Um, for me, I love the Psalms because they really, um, they inspire me, they encourage me, but I can relate. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can relate with someone who would write a Psalm and say, God, I give thanks that you are so close, you're so near. But then the very next day, the same Psalmist who wrote, God, you're so close, you're so near is actually saying, where, where are you now? Why have you abandoned me? Don't you care about me anymore? I can relate. I can connect uh, with that. I can connect with a psalm uh, when they would write, God, I praise you for all the amazing things that you've done uh, around me and with me and and through me. And then the very next day, the same psalmist will say, well, what have you done recently? I, I look out towards the future and I'm incredibly anxious and worried because I've completely forgotten everything that you've done in times past. So Uh, As we are going to see, uh, we might be a paradox, but God is not. God is consistently consistent in who he is. There's nothing that you or I could do that would just change anything about God. And so the Psalms really help me walk with God. And I shared that with you last week. My one hope for this entire series is that the Psalms would help us walk with God. Uh, I would hope by the end of the summer when we are asked, and you will be asked, hey, how was your summer? Your response would be, my summer was amazing, not because of the vacation I took or because it was restful or great weather, but you would in all honesty and integrity say, my summer was great because I walked with God in ways that I've never experienced before. And so I know the whole concept of walking with God might be a brand new thing. For some, it might be a completely foreign thing, and for some, that's not new, but it's been a while since you've experienced that. And so my heart, my hope is that we together with the Psalms as our guide would just grow in walking with God. And I wanted to encourage you this morning that if you're in a place today where you would just say in all sincerity, Michael, it's been a really long time since I've walked with God. Like I'm doing stuff, like I show up at church, I might even serve at church, I might be doing some things, but in all honesty, it's been a long, long time since I've walked with God. I would want you to hear this morning, it may have been a long time, but God still wants to walk with you. You might be in a place where you might say, Michael, if you could see my life, I'm walking in the complete opposite direction of God. I've been walking away from him. And I would say to you, yeah, but God would want you to know that he still wants you to walk with him. You might say, Michael, I've been walking with so many different things over the past months and years. I would want you to simply hear God say to you, yeah, but I still want you to walk with me. And this is the beauty of the Psalms, is that no matter where you are, God will meet you in that place. So if you're in a place of just 
hurt, frustration, disappointment, confusion, questions unanswered. Wherever you are, God knows where you are, and he's going to meet you exactly in that place. Why? Because he wants you to walk with him. Uh, The longer I sit in scripture, the more I see that what God desires for me, what God desires for you, simply put, is that you would walk with him. Is that the only thing that God desires for you? No. But as I think about this, our ability to walk with him will be the one thing that gives shape to everything else in life. What God desires for you is that you would walk with him. And everything else that you do, everything that will happen in your life will be completely shaped by your ability just to simply walk with God. Uh, Enoch is a guy in the Old Testament. Uh, We have two verses on this one man named Enoch, and it says this in Genesis chapter 5. Enoch lived 365 years, which I know seems uncomprehensible of how that could be. He lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. We don't know much about him, but what we know about him is everything that we need to know is that he lived a long time And in his years, he used his years to walk with God. Another great verse, Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what's good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, And again, I've got a long list of scriptures I could share with you, but over and over, again and again, The story, the message from God is, I want my people to walk with me in close fellowship so that everything else that you walk through in life will be informed and shaped by your ability to walk with God. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to make as kind of an observation, uh, if my heart for all of us uh, this summer is that we'd walk with God, I wrote it down in my journal like this, we begin to look like those we walk with. See, we're all walking with someone or something In time, we begin to look like those that we walk with. And so if you right now are walking with anger, uh, you will in time look like anger. You will look like uh, an angry, bitter, frustrated person. If you are choosing to walk with anger, what I mean by walking with anger, allowing anger to dominate, to control, to occupy space in your head and your heart. If you walk with anger, you will begin to take on that very person. I don't know if you ever met an angry person or someone who's just bitter, but it's it's not it's not pleasant. It's not refreshing. But if we walk with anger, we'll begin to look like it. Same if we walk with lust, if that's the path that we are walking, just constantly filled hearts and heads with lust, we will begin to look like lust. Self-centered, self-absorbed. If we look like Walk with greed, we will begin to look like greed. If we walk with things like worry and anxiety and fear, you know what you will look like as you walk with worry, fear, and anxiety? You'll look exhausted. You will look exhausted where people will continually be asking like, hey, what's wrong? Well, nothing's wrong. Why do you keep asking me what's wrong? Well, because you look like you're walking with something that is sucking the life out of you. But God's desire is that we would walk with him, and as we walk with him, well, guess what? We begin to look like him and who he is, faithful and kind and generous and loving and compassionate. So uh, we begin to look like those that we walk with. This is my heart, and you're going to hear this again and again and again uh, over the summer, is the Psalms are meant to help us walk with God. Uh, They meet us where we are, but they help us walk with God. Um, Today, I'm excited to 
share a psalm with you, Psalm 81, uh, specifically looking at uh, verse 10. And I want to share this psalm with you because it's been used by God in my life over probably the last uh, two decades uh, to keep me trusting in God uh, when I'm tempted to just begin trusting in myself. I'm not sure if you can relate with that, but uh, for me, for 20 years, I've gone back and forth and I want to trust God, but yet it's just easier to trust myself in this and try to manage and handle and control this. But this one psalm has been used by God in my life to remind me that I can trust him. Uh, Now, I was introduced to this psalm. I may have read it before this, but I was really first, I was taken back by this psalm. Uh, It was introduced to me by one of my spiritual heroes. I don't know if you have any spiritual heroes, people that you have looked to who've lived before you that are good examples and encouragements, but uh, this guy's name is George Mueller. Uh, If you were ever looking to be inspired by someone who walked with God, trusting every step of the way, I would strongly recommend reading one of his biographies. Now, I know that uh, George Mueller, you might not know who he is. I want to give you a snapshot uh, of who this man is. And as I read these things, my heart is not to impress you with him, uh, but it is to say God used a psalm in this man's life to change the trajectory of his life. The accomplishments of George Mueller and what he was known for around the world in his lifetime and still today was his orphan ministry. He built five large orphan houses and cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations for 3,600 orphans in all of England. One of the greatest effects of George Mueller's ministry was to inspire others, so much so that 50 years after George Mueller began his work, there was at least 100,000 orphans that were being cared for in England alone, and not just uh, Europe caught fire because of his ministry. He did all of this while he was preaching three times a week from 1830 to 1898, over 10,000 different sermons. Uh, When he turned 70, most people, when they hit 65, 70, they're starting to think about, like, it's time to coast. It's time to slow down. It's time to kind of enjoy all the benefits of my hard work, but not for him. When he turned 70, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of missionary work. Uh, And so for the next 17 years until he was 87, he traveled to 42 different countries, preaching on average of once a day and addressing over 3 million people. From the end of his travels in 1892, when he was 87 and until his death in March of 1898, he preached in his church and he worked for the Scripture Knowledge Institute, which is a seminary that he had begun a few decades before. He had read his Bible from end to end almost 200 times, and he had prayed in millions of dollars, and that would be in today's currency, for the orphans uh, and the orphanages that he had started, and he never asked anyone directly for money. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry, but he trusted God to put in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan and never went into debt, and neither he nor the orphans were ever hungry. Uh, What George Mueller was really famous for is he accomplished all of these things, but he never asked anyone for anything. He only prayed and trusted that, God, you've told me to come to you and ask you for what the needs are, and I'm going to trust you that you know what the needs are, you know what my needs are, and I will just pray, and I will trust that you will put on somebody else's heart, someone else's mind, how they might meet the needs that we have. Um, 
towards the end of his life, he was interviewed uh, by the British uh, Weekly, just a newspaper, and the interviewer asked him, George, you've had a significant life. You've built orphanages. Over 10,000 kids are now being cared for, and you never asked anyone for one penny, but yet everything was always provided. And so he wanted to know, George, what was the secret? Like, how did you do so much with so little, never asking anyone for anything? And this was George Mueller's response to his secret. He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died. I died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. What I love about his example, and uh, I've been so inspired and read a ton on George Mueller, uh, is that quote from that newspaper article at the end of his life. I made a decision to die to myself. And in my dying to myself, I began to experience what it looks like for what it looks like to just walk with God, trusting him in every step of the way. Um, before he began, uh, his commitment was, I want to build orphanages, I want to care for kids. And so this was the prayer taken from one of his biographies that, that he prayed. Uh, he says this, God, I need a thousand pounds to get started. I need to find a house that's big enough for my family with 30 children. I need at least three or four of my staff, Christian folks that like children and know how to teach them or cook for them or manage them. And the children will need clothes and beds to sleep on and dishes to eat from. I believe you can do it and I'll leave it uh, all right in your hands. Amen. That was his prayer. That was before he started anything. That was his, his prayer that he began with. And he prayed this uh, days and then weeks and uh, if you read his biography, one of the things he began to struggle with is, am I asking too much? Is this too bold? Is this too audacious? Is this too, you know, should I, am I, should I be doing this? And he goes on and says this, each day after he prayed, he prayed, he wondered if he was being too bold. Was he asking for too much? Then one day he opened his Bible and, as he often did when he was puzzled or lonely or waiting for God to speak, he read a psalm. I want you to read that again. Then one day he opened his Bible, and as he often did when he was puzzled or lonely or waiting for God to speak, he read a psalm. And he started with 79, then he read 82, and he began the next one. And the psalm that God used in George Mueller's life and consequently has used in my life over the past two decades, the one psalm uh, that said to George, you can trust me every step of the way. What you're asking for is exactly what I want you to be asking for. The direction you're walking is exactly what I have for you. And so he read Psalm 81, uh, verse 10. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it with good things. I love how God used one psalm to help one man walk with God, trusting him every step of the way. Now, how has God used this psalm in my life? Uh, how has God used this to help me walk with him? It reminds me of, of one truth that I often forget. It reminds me, this one verse in this one psalm, 81.10, reminds me of something that I often forget. And every time I read it, it brings me back to, Michael, you don't need to trust 
in, in myself, but you can trust in God. And I wrote it down in, in, in my journal. This is the truth that I remember from Psalm 81.10. God is God, and he wants me to experience him as God every day, all day. God is God, and he wants me, he wants you to experience him as God every day, all day. There is, God is not like more God when you're like really good, however you define good. Because we can think like that. Like when I'm being really good, morally good, spiritually good, I'm serving, I'm giving, I'm helping, I'm just being a good person, we think that we're going to somehow experience more of God because we've been really good. God is not more God when you're good, and God is not less God when I am bad, however you want to define bad. God does not cease to be who he is because I've been something good or bad. God is always God, and he wants me to experience him as God every day, all day. This is the one truth from Psalm 81.10 that has been such an encouragement to me over the past two decades. And I love that it's the verse that George Mueller would point back to and say, you want to know what made a difference? Is God reminded me in Psalm 81.10 that he is God. He is always God, and I can experience him as God every day, all day. Now, in the context of Psalm 81, uh, I'm going to read parts of, of Psalm 81. It's about 14 verses long. Um, encourage you to go back through this. But Asaph is the, the individual who wrote this psalm, and he wrote it as a song to be sung. He wrote this psalm uh, as a song for the community, the people of God, to sing over and over and over again to remind themselves of this one truth, that God is God, and God can be trusted. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up uh, to Psalm 81. I'm gonna, we'll put the verses on the screen as well, but starting at verse 1. Sing, and again, this is written as a song to be sung. Sing praises to God, our strength. Sing to the God of Jacob. Sing, beat the tambourine and play the sweet lyre in the harp. Blow the ram's horn at new moon and again at full moon to call a festival. For this is required by the decrees of Israel. It is a regulation of the God of Jacob. He made it a law for Israel when he attacked Egypt to set us free. I had heard an unknown voice say, Now I will take the load from your shoulders. I will free your hands from the heavy tasks. You cried to me in trouble, and I saved you. I answered out of the thundercloud and tested your faith when there was no water at Meribah. Verse 8, listen to me, O my people, while I give you stern warnings. O Israel, uh, if you would only listen to me. You must never have a foreign God. You must not bow down before a false God. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. This is 10 verses in this psalm. Again, a song to be sung to encourage the people of God to keep walking with God. But if you just looked at these 10 verses, you see right away, well, who is God? Well, God is worthy to be worshiped. Like, God is a God that all day, every day, we should be walking around saying, thank you. Thank you for the life that you've given me. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your generosity. Thankfulness and worship is not like a Sunday thing. It can happen on Sunday. It should happen when we gather like this. But every day, God is worthy to be worshiped. God is one who answers prayer. You saw that in the psalm. 
You cried out to me, and what did God do? He answered. As the people of God cried out to God, God who listens to prayer is the same God who answers prayer. God is powerful to save and to rescue. God knew where they were, and so he rescued them from a place of slavery. He rescued them from a place of abuse and chains, and he set them free. God was powerful enough to do that. God is loving enough to test their faith. Uh, When he said, I've tested your faith. Well, what I love about this is God loves you. He loves me enough to say, I want to test your faith. I don't want you to have a lip service faith that you say one thing, but it doesn't really mean anything. God will put you in certain situations and tests and trials and storms. Why? Well, because he's testing your faith, because those who have a tested faith is going to have a faith that's growing, and as your faith is growing, you're going to walk with God. And what does God want for you? He wants you to walk with him. So he loves you enough to test your faith. So you're not just walking, going through the motion, saying, I, I really believe this, but your heart is so far from that. God is loving enough to warn us, to warn us of the very things that will not only destroy our walk with God, our friendship, our relationship with God, but he loves us enough to warn us of the things that will just destroy us. I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 8 and 9, it says, Listen to me, O my people, while I give you stern warnings. O Israel, if you would only listen to me, you must never have a foreign god. You must not bow down before a false god. So let me ask the question, why does God tell them, consequently, why is he telling us not to have a foreign, a false, or a fake god or gods that we'd bow down to? And by the way, I know you might not have recently literally bowed down to something, but this imagery of bowing down is we give our time, we give our effort, we give our energy, we give our affection, we give thought life, we give heart life to something. It, it's the things that often consume us. So this is the picture of, of bowing down. So why does he, God tell them and us not to have a foreign, false, or fake God that we bow down to? And I wrote it down in my journal like this, because no one else or no other thing can do for us what God can and wants to do for us. There is nothing in this life, and there is no one in this life that can do for you what only God can. And so God says, I love you enough to warn you, don't bow down to lesser things. Don't bow down to those things. So a question would be, what would be the counterfeit gods? What what do they look like for us? What would a counterfeit, a false, a foreign, a fake God look like for us? Tim Keller wrote a great book a few years back called Counterfeit Gods, and he said this, a counterfeit God is anything, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol or a a false, fake, foreign God is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, gosh, if I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and I will feel secure. To me, I, when I read that, it reminds me just simply, when I look to something other than God to do for me what God has promised to do for me, um, I've got counterfeit gods or counterfeit gods going on. Now, again, I don't know if you caught this when I read the psalm, but two times the psalmist just says, listen. He says very specifically, listen to me if you would only listen to me. Why is it, and I'm going to personalize this for me, why is it that I have such a difficult time 
listening to God in my life. I don't know if that's true of you, but again, the psalmist is saying, listen to me. If you would only listen to me, why is it that we have such a difficult time listening to God who's invited us to walk with him and has just overwhelmed us with so many different promises that he wants to give to us? Why do we have such a hard time listening to him? I, I don't know how you would answer this question, but for me, I've got one word, and it's just trust. Trust. It's really hard to listen to someone when you don't trust them. We get that on, on a, like a human scale. Like if, if you don't trust me, uh, then no matter what I say, how I say it, no matter what, you're not going to listen to me. Why? Because underneath all of that is I don't trust you. You can say whatever you want, Michael, uh, and it sounds good, but I don't trust you. Well, amplify that a thousand times over. Why do we have a hard time listening to God? Well, because there might be something in us that says, I just, I don't, I don't trust. Now, George Mueller, when he read Psalm 81, uh, it, he talks about how this is a psalm that God used just to train, change the trajectory of his life. And as the biographer goes on, I love the response that he had to Psalm 81.10. There it was in the Psalms, and he believed with all of his heart, God was talking to him. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. It was a promise. Now he was ready to stake his dreams on it. It was a promise that George Mueller would look back and say, I staked everything on Psalm 81.10. It was a promise from God, and I trusted him for it. I wrote this down, a phrase in my journal like this. We can trust the promises of God when we trust the character of God. We can trust the promises. Whatever the promises might be, we can trust the promises of God when we trust in the character of God. For George Mueller, he was able to stake all of his life on the promise given in Psalm 81.10, open wide your mouth, I will fill it, because he fully trusted in the character of the one who was actually making the promise. Because at the end of the day, if you don't trust in the character of God, then no matter what God says, you're not going to be able to listen to it. You're not going to be able to receive it. And this is what I love about what God does for us. God is not asking us to trust in his character without any evidence of his character. He's not calling you just to say, hey, just trust me. I'm not going to show myself to you. I'm not going to reveal like who I am and what I'm like. I just want you to trust me. The beauty of what God has done is he's not asking for that. He's given us evidence of his character so that we can trust in his promises. In Psalm 81.10, Mueller said, open wide, or the psalmist says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But do you know what was right before that? Do you know that that's a promise that God has given? To anyone who reads that psalm, that is a promise that God gives. Do you know what's right before Psalm 81.10 in the first half of verse 10? For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you. That was me, God's saying. My character is so much so that it wasn't a fake, false, foreign God. It wasn't a counterfeit God who rescued you, who redeemed you, who saved you. That was me who did that. So this promise is connected to, it's married to his character. And his character is he loves you. He's demonstrated that love for you. In his kindness and his provision and his faithfulness and his generosity. So God's promises are connected to his character. And so 
the, the question, the, the, the one uh, question that I would say for, for us, say you're sitting here today and you're like, okay, Michael, what happens if I open wide my life? Because this is, it's not a picture of just open my mouth and I'm going to get some food in it. This is a, a picture of open wide your life. Not just your mouth, but actually open your So say you're sitting here today and you're like, what if I do that, Michael? What if I actually open my life to God? Not just some of God, but all of God. What, what would actually God do? What would my life look like? What would happen for me to open my life wide and God, like, what is going to happen? Um, I wrote it down like this. The good things that God has for you, do you know what they are? It's God. The good things that God has for you, the good things as you open your life to him, what God wants to give you is himself. The greatest gift that God could give to you is himself, his presence, his power, his protection, his provision. It would be utterly unloving if you said to God, hey, I'm going to open my life to you and I'm going to trust you and God all of a sudden just started filling your life with a bunch of created things. But he never gave to you himself. And he gave to you all the things that you th- we think we often want. If I want it to be easy and perfect and I want it to be this and that. Imagine if God just filled you with all of those things, all of these created things, but he withheld from you himself. That would be cruel. That would be unloving. The greatest gift that God can give to us as we open our life to him is him, is God. Uh, Years back, I had read a book uh, that John Piper wrote uh, just called God is the Gospel. Remember, gospel just means good news. So the good news, the gospel, the good news of the gospel is God. And in one of his chapters that I'll never forget, he simply said this, have we shifted with the world from God's love as the gift of himself to God's love as the gift of a mirror in which we like what we see. And I remember reading that. I was like, wow. Somewhere along the line, I started believing that the gift that God wanted to give me was really the gift of looking in the mirror of me, in the mirror of my life, and saying, wow, these are so awesome. I I love what I'm seeing. I love how organized and how well my life is going. I love that all that God's given me, all of these things, and I like what I see when I look in the mirror of my life. The gift that God has to give you as you open your life to him is not something but himself. Now, the good that God gives is the gift of himself. So when God says in the Psalms, open wide your mouth, I'm going to fill it, what he's saying is, I want to give you me. I want to give you relationship, friendship. I want you to walk with me. And as you walk with me, you can trust me every step of the way. I want to finish uh, with just sharing uh, for me personally, uh, because this psalm has been so instrumental to me in learning afresh how to trust God, not myself. So for me, I wanted to share why is it that I trust the character of God? Again, if you do not trust God's character, It doesn't matter what God says. You'll never be able to receive it or accept it because you just don't trust his character. So for me, why do I trust so much that I've built my life on this? Why do I trust the character of God? And this will sound for some maybe too simplistic of an answer, uh, 
but I'm not sure how else to answer this question for me. Why do I trust so deeply in the character of God? One word, Jesus. That's it. His character, his promises are connected to his character. And I can trust in the character of God for one reason and one reason alone, because of Jesus. It says in Romans, fast forward to the New Testament, chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If God didn't withhold from you, from me, the gift of himself in his son, why on earth would I ever think that I could not trust the character of God and the character of God gave me, gave you, gave all of us his son so that we could have a perfect relationship with him? That's why. If you ask me, why can I trust the character of God? Jesus, that's it. He gave us his son. He has not withheld his own son. Why would I think he would ever withhold anything else? Last question that I would ask us to consider today would just be this. This is why I trust God. Um, But I wanted to ask, what is your current posture towards God? Is it open or is it closed? And like I told the first service, I really want you to do some soul searching on this. This might not be a question you can answer very quickly today. But is your posture currently open or closed towards God? And I, again, when I'm saying soul searching, there are many of us who would say it's open. And you would say it's open because you're going through and doing and saying all of the right things. Your posture has the appearance that you're very open. You're coming to church, you're serving, you're giving, you're connecting, you're even reading your Bible, you're praying. There's the appearance of that it's really open to God. But here's the thing, God knows your heart, because I know what it's like to go through the emotions and have the appearance that I'm one way, but inwardly, I'm still closed off to God. So I want to ask, what is your posture today towards God? Is it opened or closed? And I would ask to give, if it is closed at all, then it will be impossible to both receive from God what he has to give himself, as well as allow God to take things away. We often think that God just wants to give us things, uh, and there's truth in that, but sometimes the greater truth is God actually wants to add to our life by subtracting from our life. God is gracious enough to say, if you're open to me, I want to take things away from you. Well, God, why would you do that? Well, because these things that I'm going to take away from you are actually the very things that are taking you away from me. So is your life today, heart and soul, who you are, is it open or closed towards God? Because God's invitation, I just wanted you to hear, God says, open wide. Open wide and see what God can do and will do as you trust him and his character, walking with him, trusting every step of the way. The people who are reading this, um, I I wanted to finish with, what happened? Like, if you, if you peeked to Psalm 11, or Psalm 81, verse 11, and verse 12, you would hope, you would think that the people would be like, heck yeah, we're going to open wide. And Psalm 11 and 12, or 81, verse 11 and 12 would be like, here's a picture of what it's looked like for us to open wide, and the life has been amazing, it's been incredible. You would hope that that's what the psalmist would say. But unfortunately, verse 11, 12, and 13 say this. After the invitation was given, open wide your life, I will fill it with good things, verse 11. But no, 
My people wouldn't listen. Israel did not want me around, and so I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. Oh, that my people would just listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me doing what? (laughs) Walking. Walking in the way of God and with God. Before I can get like too overly critical of what the people did, I have to personalize this to me. But no, Michael wouldn't listen. Michael didn't want me around. And so I let Michael follow his own stubborn desires, living according to his own ideas. Oh, that Michael would just listen to me. Oh, that Michael would follow me, walking with me in my path. It's easy for me to point the finger at them and be like, how could you not walk with God, trusting his character and his promises? But I, I do the same thing. So today, would your posture towards God be open or closed? Would God say to you, gosh, they just wouldn't listen. They were still clinging onto their own ideas that walking in their path is going to be better for them, trusting in whatever counterfeit God it might be. My heart for you would just be to the loudest voice you hear is God saying, open wide your mouth. Open wide your life to me, and I will fill it. I will fill it with myself. Father God, thank you for Psalm 81, specifically verse 10. Got to give thanks that you used this in a man named George Mueller's life, and it changed the trajectory of his life. And God, I give thanks for the past two decades of sitting with Psalm 81.10, And God, how you have used it to remind me not to trust in me and myself, but God, you have used it again and again and again to trust in you, to trust in your promises because we can trust in your character. God, I pray that uh, we would do some serious soul searching in these moments, but just today, God, I pray that we would look beyond kind of the veneer of our lives and just do some soul searching with the question, God, are we open or are we closed? And God, if there's anything in us that is just closed off to you, God, in ways that only you possibly could do, God, I pray that you would open us anew, open us afresh, or maybe open us for the very first time. God, if there's things that we believe about you that are just absolutely not true, Father, if we're having a hard time receiving promises from you because we're not trusting your character, then God, today, in a way that only you could, I pray that we would see afresh, be reminded again that you sent your son to give us life. You sent your son to rescue us from an eternity apart from you. So God, in these moments, as we would... Just take time to reflect, but also to respond to you through song and prayer and communion. God, if there's anything in me, there's anything in any of us that our posture is closed to you, God, would you open it up? God, that none of us would leave here saying, no, I'm not listening still. Set on doing our thing and going our way. God, please open us afresh. Open us again. Please do the work of opening our lives that it might be filled with you.